Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way, and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today we have Tina Wells joining us. Tina Wells is a business strategist, advisor, author, and the founder of Relevant Media, a multimedia content venture serving entrepreneurs, tweens, and culturists with authentic representation. Tina has been recognized by Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, Essences 40 Under 40, and more. For over two decades, she led Buzz Marketing Group, an agency she founded at the age of 16. The clients included Dell, the Oprah Winfrey Network, Kroger, Apple, P&G, Johnson & Johnson, among others. She's the author of seven books, including the best-selling tween fiction series, Mackenzie Blue, its 2020 spinoff series, The Z Files, and her latest book, New Beginnings, which was released this week. Tina's board positions have included THINKS, the United Nations Foundation's Global Entrepreneurs Council, the Franklin Institute, and the Young Entrepreneurs Council. She's also served as the academic director for Wharton's leadership in the Business World Program at the University of Pennsylvania. Wow, and I just woke up. Welcome, Tina. How are you? I'm well, Katie. How are you? Good. You have written seven books, <laughs> which is incredible, um, and including the best-selling tween series, Mackenzie Blue, and the spinoff, The Z Files, and your latest book, Honest June, which just came out, I believe, mid-October, Yes, is exclusively a target, is about a girl in middle school whose fairy godmother puts her under a truth-telling spell. Um, which she cannot tell a lie. And it also deals a lot with anxiety. And I'm curious how you came about these themes. Yeah. So, um, you know, as I, as I, when I did Mackenzie Blue, it was really looking at tween girls and friendship. And now, goodness, almost 14 years later, um, I really wanted to focus more on issues. I feel like tweens have grown up a little bit. Uh, you know, when we first started talking about tween, I felt like they were a little bit younger consumer. And now when I talk to my friends, you know, we talk about issues their tweens are having. And I think anxiety is a real thing. You know, in the Z files and the spinoff, we see Mackenzie a little bit older and she's dealing with a diagnosis of ADHD. Uh, and now we have Honest June, we have June Jackson, who is really not understanding that she has anxiety and panic attacks, but under, you know, having the feelings and going through the motions, but can't quite put words to what's happening yet. And so I find that a lot of times kids in that age demo, they like know these things are happening, but they can't quite put the language to it just yet. And so I wanted to create some characters that didn't come across as, uh, you know, perfect girls and perfect situations that you saw that they, they struggle a little bit and that things are happening. That's important because I think a lot of times, uh, especially kids that age or even younger are experiencing 
they may be depressed or they may have OCD or ADHD and they can't put language to it. So I think to have a book where you can actually see a character that is struggling and it's not just like some sort of fairy tale of, oh, this, this is real and that you can relate to is, is really cool. Thank you. So the first book you wrote was 16 years ago. Is that what uh, you're no, so the first C file, uh, Mackenzie Blue, the first book in that series, I wrote it in 2007. It was published in 2009. And so, uh, and then my last book in that series was published in 2013. So it was definitely a seven year break uh, between where Mackenzie Blue ended and then when I started with the Z files. Can you tell a lie? I can omit the truth for sure, but, but I will tell you, so I'll tell you a funny story. I'm the oldest of six kids and my siblings don't tell me things because they think I don't have a poker face and I'll tell my parents. So they're like, if we really, really need to keep a secret, we're not going to tell you because you can't. And I'm like, it's not that I can't. It's just like when mom or dad are like, do you know? And I'm like, no, I don't know. I, I guess I'm like terrible. At the oldest part. girl, I feel like for the oldest kid is like the mini grown up. Yes. Always. Like the third parent. Always. Yeah. I can lie much better than my older sister. Oh yeah. I think no way. Like, and, and the guilt trip I would get from my parents way different than what my siblings would get. Really? How so? You know better, Tina. Can't believe you <laughs> would do. And it's like, they do too. But it's like, yeah, but you really know better. It's hilarious. What was the age difference between, because uh, you're the oldest of six. The oldest was of it six. Like so my youngest brother is nine years younger than me. Okay. Okay. That's a big household. Yes. <laughs> what sign are you? Because I couldn't find your actual birth date. And again, I was like, well, I don't want to like April DM 20th. So I'm a cusper. I'm, I'm like on the cusp of Aries and Taurus, but I am an Aquarius rising. And I definitely think I have a, a lot of the, I live a little bit more like an Aquarius, I think. Yeah. I'm like a triple Aquarian. So I was going to say, you don't seem like an Aries at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will tell you a fun fact. Most of my very best girlfriends are Aries. Okay. Okay. But my, my moon is in cancer. And so I think there's something to that. If you know anything about, of course, you know, moon and cancer, you know, I think I have the qualities for sure. <laughs> that is so funny. I know. No, I, I used to never believe in that stuff in the net ever since I moved to LA from the East Coast. I was like, wait, actually, all of this is accurate. It's all the so, it's interesting if you ever scared about like even what Tarans look like down to like our narrow mm -hmm. noses, it's really funny. Like I was reading this like Tarans often and I was like, oh my gosh, that's a little crazy. Actually, that's really true. I I dated a Taurus and he had a narrow, that's really funny. So did a certain situation happen to you at that time in your life, middle school, that sort of prompted these stories? Or was it more just something, you know, uh, fiction, mix of nonfiction? Or how did it how did it come about where you felt like I have to write this? You know, it, Even I with honest June, I guess, if you want to start. Yeah, I think with June, I, I, I mean, I write for middle grade readers. It's a fascination, that life stage. I definitely remember being a tween and I didn't have any technology, like we had, we had like teen magazine, but we didn't have websites where we could go to find information on like what was happening to our bodies or anything like that. And so I really kind of navigated tween life through Ramona and her books and the babysitters club. 
And so it was really books that helped me navigate that life stage. And then as I got a little bit older, it was like Saturday morning TV. Um, and then, or like family nights or like family matters, like Laura Winslow for me growing up with, or Lisa Turtle were like, you know, young black girls I saw on TV and I was like, okay, I want to emulate them. Um, but it, as far as like my kind of personal interest in tweens, I feel like that reader, you still can, um, you know, you're at a time where you can teach really good lessons. You can be really um, influential. You can also have a little bit of magic like June has and have it be believable. Like all those things can happen for that seven to 12 year old reader. Um, mm -hmm. And I just really like her. I like girls that age. I find that they're funny and coming into their own and trying to figure things out. And, and they're, they're kind of in the messy middle of it all. And they're like, okay where they are. They still want that connection to mom. They're, they're searching. And so I just, I, I found that as a, a reader, I really like to write for, for this age yeah. group. Um, and I would say, I would often say her, but really I have so many, you know, boy readers as well, young boy readers who want to know about girls. So they're reading these books to find out what girls are thinking. And, uh, you know, June, I think because, you know, some of the central characters are boys. And in all my, my books, the central, you know, we also have central characters who are boys. And so um, I just like tweens in general, you know, just that age group. That's so funny. And that is really true because I feel like once, like my goddaughter, she hit, she, she's going to be listening to this podcast and rolling her eyes. But when she hit 13, it was just like, everything was like, ugh. you know, it's like they start the more puberty. Yeah. Uh, that sort of roll of the eyes and it, that kind of like you mentioned, like kind of magical or fantastical ifs or that can happen, aren't there? No. It, when they hit their team. It's true. My niece is that way at 12 and it just became really, ugh, Tina, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're like that, like, like, it's, or like, she'll be like, mom, you're embarrassing me. Like I can still get away being cool because I don't, personally have kids. So basically anyone that has kids is like not cool mm -hmm. when you're mm -hmm. a 13 or older. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just funny, but that is such a, I hated that age growing up, but cause I got my period really early. So I feel like I was very like physically I developed where everybody else hadn't. So that was really difficult, but I mean, I still had a good middle school experience, but it's true. There weren't that, there were no books where it was like, people were going through awkward times. Yeah. And I was really awkward. Um, you know, I had like really, really thick red glasses, which was a whole other thing. <laughs> I mean, my sister and I, my sister who's 18 months younger than me, we got glasses at the same time. And I wanted these cute pink glasses. And like, my parents just happened to ask her before me. And she's like, I want the pink glasses. And so they were like, well, you both can't have pink glasses because then one. <laughs> so I ended up with these bright red glasses. And if you know anything about the nineties, the biggest talk show around that time, obviously that wasn't Oprah, Sally, Jesse. Yes. So that was what my siblings called me. They called me Sally. And I had these like big red glasses, these like terrible <laughs> buck teeth. And so there was like nothing at all, at all glamorous. <laughs> like they still make fun of my sixth grade picture and tell me they're going to like publish it one day in a media interview. Um, but yeah, like, but now oh, those would be like cool and retro. No, there's no, no absolutely nothing cool or retro about how I looked and that photo. <laughs> and I look at my niece and I'm like, why don't children look bad today? Like, why do all these kids know their angles and pose perfectly? I think it's the selfie. It's crazy. Like, there's no awkward school photo anymore the way we used to have them. 
No, it's like clear braces now, Invisalign, like yeah. selfie. And I think they're just more aware of how they look. So they, like you're saying, like they know how to, I don't know. I still see some awkward photos, but I know what you mean. It's not as bad as like when we were growing up where it was like the glamour shots at the mall. That was like the big, <laughs> like, you know, like photo op. It it's wasn't- clouds no in the background. Has, yeah, no one has like Instagram. <laughs> You've kind of become a bit of a tween expert. Mm. And what advice would you give someone in that age that is maybe going through a hard time or a bout of depression and can't put their finger on it? Mm. Um, is there something you could say to? I think that what's hard about that age is that whatever the situation is, it feels all encompassing. It really is your entire world that is coming down, right? Um, and I think as we get older, we realize like that situation isn't good. We can separate that from other things happening in life. And what I think when you're like, when I think about June, right in the book, she just all of a sudden finds herself on this trajectory where she's like mentally tumbling down, right? It's like, if I don't get an A on this paper, I'm never going to college. I'm never getting married. I'm never having kids in my life is going to be ruined, right? Like she just <laughs> kind of goes there, right? And it's funny, I can relate to June in that way. And that like, that's the way my mind- It sounds like me now. <laughs> it's how totally like, this is totally all going to be, you know? And then I think you live long enough to realize there is another day. It's going to get fixed, right? It's like, I love that quote. It's like, um, it'll all be all right at the end. And if it's not all right, then it's not the end. Like we, you just haven't lived long enough to realize these things are true. And so um, I'll give the advice my mom used to give all of us, which was um, take a nap. And we could go wow. and say, this is happening and this is happening and this is terrible and I'm going to fail this and I feel hockey sucks and all. And my mom would say, just take a nap, like just stop. And I, and I realized there was something to like, just stopping all that action in your brain that's telling you everything you're doing is wrong. And then you wake wow. up and you're refreshed and you can think about it. And sometimes it means like, sometimes all you can do is grab 20, 30 minutes and take a nap. Sometimes it's just going to sleep and, and saying, I just have to try again tomorrow. Right. Like, it's not even, it's like, I, I am like, my brother has this funny phrase. One of my brothers, he says, I'm trying to can, but I can't. And it's like, <laughs> some days you just can't. And I think it's, it's recognizing, like, I need to give myself time. I don't like what's happening right now. And I'm going to hope that tomorrow is better, you know? And I think um, sometimes we give these positive reinforcements of like, it's going to be okay, get it together. Instead of acknowledging that for tweens, it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay. It doesn't feel like they're going to be able to get it together. And I remember my best friend said to me once, I was having like a real struggle in business and I was really upset and just in a place where I wasn't happy. And she kind of said, it's okay to not want to get up right now. Like if you feel down, just stay down for a little bit. And I remember thinking no one's ever given me permission to like outside of being a kid, right? In this memory with my mom saying, take take a time out. But that sometimes we don't give our, our kids the permission to like, just chill. It's okay if, if this doesn't feel good. You don't have to get right back up and get right back to it. Sometimes you gotta like brush off those like scars a little bit or that those bruises you took and take a minute, you know? That's a really good point because it's true that age, but I even feel that way myself now, but we can sometimes really get caught up, especially if you suffer from anxiety, like it's all or nothing thinking, mm -hmm. which can be really detrimental to someone at that age, especially. Yes. And I don't think we realize um, 
how much that actually is true, right? They're not exaggerating. They're not being over the top. That is actually the entirety of their life and their world as it exists today. And I think you have to honor that and say, I know that this is what you're feeling. Not like you're being dramatic. Don't say that. Just say, I am so sorry that this is overwhelming. I know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. But if we just take a breath, if we can just take a pause, like we're going to get this back together. You know, you have to, I think, acknowledge that. Are you more of a Mackenzie or June? Um, or Z, I guess the second, you know. It's interesting. I have elements of both. Um, I would say um, way more Z. Yeah, it's way more Z. I can do a million things in a day. You, if you saw my morning routine, you would just laugh at like, I'm making coffee, doing this, doing like I'm doing all this stuff like this. Um, and I'm a daydreamer like Z, creative like Z. So I would probably say I'm, I'm way more a Z. I totally believe that just of all that you've accomplished that you were started an agency at 16. Which was an accident. Yeah. Like I didn't plan that. So, but I just kind of- Yeah, but that's go. still like incredible that you were that young and had a, like, how did that even come about? I wanted to be a fashion writer. That was my dream. And I, like most teenagers of my day, read Seventeen magazine. And they had an ad ad for this newspaper for girls called the New Girl Times. And so I like called the 800 number. This is like, yes, back in the day when we used to call everybody. Yeah, totally. Um, And they said, okay, if you want to apply for the job, you have to fax us or send us, you know, this is still faxing a copy of of something you've written. And so I typed it up. Uh, I had a word processor back then. Yeah. My mom. I still love a fax machine kind of. I mean, I have a love hate with them, but I, I mean, I wish I could have, I think that's, it's funny. I would probably bring back my word processor because that was pretty cool. And so I wrote a sample, my mom faxed it for me. And then I got a call and they're like, all right, we're going to hire you as a product review editor. And so it's like, awesome, amazing. And then I'm like, well, what the heck does that person do? I figured it out. Um, and I would always send my, what I wrote back to the companies I wrote about. And they would always say the same thing. If I send you more product, will you tell me what you think? And I was like, obviously, yes, this is the best thing. That's ever. so cool. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And, and I figured out along the way what market research was and all of that, you know, was definitely like a learning on the job kind of thing, but I didn't even know what the job was, not really until I got to college. And then I had a professor who really dug in, helped me figure it out. I took an independent study with her. And then we like really dug in into how to formalize the business. So were you always just naturally very good at executive functioning? Because it seems like when I was uh, looking at your website and it was like, so once you get your, is it the ICA? And I was like, oh my gosh, just everything that you've accomplished and you're just the language you use, but you're also very creative. It's very impressive because normally it's one or the other. I find, you know, like it's someone that's really great with corporate executive functioning. And then you have like the writers, more creative visual, and you seem to be able to highly function at both. And how, I mean, is that something you had to work on or did it just always sort of come naturally? Um, you know, for me, it's, it's come naturally. Um, that's very impressive. Honestly, I just don't feel like I meet many people that are as excel at both so well. It takes discipline. I think you learn how to um, create practices. Like for me, it's all about the systems and processes. And I remember when I got to college, learning about marketing and thinking, oh, wow, I've been doing this for the last 
three, four years and I didn't have any language to say what I was doing. And now I have the words and uh, I, I felt that way for a while, like, okay, I was doing these things and now I understand how to talk about those things. Yeah, that makes sense. If you have the vocabulary. Yeah. What do you enjoy the most? Just all of it? Or like, what do you, I guess, what do you get the most maybe satisfaction out of? I, I think across the board, when you can create something and you have an idea and you see that idea actually turn into the product or the book, you know, now I'm, I'm getting into product development. Uh, we're launching some product for the Z files next week. And so now that like it, it the fact that you, as a marketer, it's like you have ideas and you get to see those ideas come to life, but they're not always so tangible. You know, you can't always just pick it up and hold it the way I can kind of pick up these books that I have here. And I'm like, these are my things, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, um, great colors. There's such good colors. Thank you. Covers. I, I spend a lot of time on that. Um, I love like colors like that together. Yeah. That, yeah. So, so now that you're actually seeing the actual product yeah. from the book, that, that is, that, that, that's like a moment that never gets old when you get to see it yeah. when I, and now, um, it's going into Target and getting to see how the product is merchandised. You know, there was a big shift for my books. They moved from being just kind of on an end cap, like the end of a, an aisle to being what's called in line and like with all the other books. Oh. And so it's, I love going to Target to see how the books look and different Targets have different footprints. And so sometimes there's a kid's book section, sometimes they're with adult books and just seeing the difference. Um, but that I- Do you ever move them around? Or are you like, this is better for my books here? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely like to see how, if they're there and how they're looking and, you know, it's just kind of like creeping in target, like, okay, what's like Tuesday. Um, and that's the other thing I learned, like, I, I'm not going to like run to the store on Tuesday because some books, like some places may not have it set Tuesday because there's oh, like, up to, yeah, there's like up to five days to set it. And so I made that mistake once being like, it's pub day. And like, okay, there's nothing here. Oh, um, no. But now I know. Now I know like next week, like I'll be in Chicago on pub day. Maybe I'll run into a target. We'll see. And when do the, do the products come out this year or will it be? Yeah. So, um, I, this, the fourth book in the Z file series is what's launching, um, November 9th. And then, uh, the first product. So I created something for tweens called a bliss box to help with anxiety and stress. And so, uh, it's got, you know, cute affirmation stickers. It has this like slime that's for stress reduction, fuzzy socks or these cute little iPads that can be hot or cold. And so wanted to create like a fun stocking stuffer, stress yeah. holiday gift. Um, and then, you know, June, honest June launched end of September there. And so it's just, you know, it's just a crazy time. I think this, I'm now up to... 11 books, I think 11 books that are published in some way. And so okay. uh, that just in the course of one year that changed so, so drastically. And then we have a few more releases next year. Um, Nelson, three other books coming next year. So it's just fun. I think, so to answer your question, I think every part of what I get to do now is fun. Um, and, it, and I love it. And it hasn't always been that way, but I think from coming up with the ideas and, and the characters to then you know, moving to the next stage. That's all just so much fun. Is it, and now is right, does writing come very easily for you? It does. Um, okay. What I will admit to though, this is important. I don't have a process where I'm like writing every day. Like, you know, how some people are like, or like the yeah. way, like you said, I, that is not mine. Um, but when I sit to write, 
sometimes I've been thinking about where a book's going to go or thinking about a new series for a long time, like months and months. So when I sit down and write, yes, I might knock things out in an hour. You know, I can write a book synopsis in less than an hour for an entire book. And that for me, that's like about eight to 10 pages of like telling the story of where the book's going to go. But like, I have one that I'm working on now. I did the majority of it. I've got to like sum up the book and I'm having an issue and I'm like, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'm not under deadline right now. Um, but when I sit to write, I write really, really fast. I, I am a very fast writer, but I, but I'm not always doing that type of writing every day. But I don't imagine that you're someone that like, if the deadline's tomorrow, you're like, it's not like already done. Like you're up all night finishing it. Like that doesn't seem oh, like no, you. no, I, I need, sleep. <laughs> I need sleep. Like, I mean, I'm wearing my aura ring. I literally need to. Understand. Oh yeah. My girlfriend swears by I that. Swear by love it. It. No, I love it. Really? Um, it will make you sleep more. It will make you really move. Right. And I think what I love about it is it's not this idea. Like I have to do this workout or that work. It's like, I just got to move and, and you will okay. get in that like four to 500 calories worth of moving where you're like, Oh, this was easier than trying to like schedule the workout where I was going to burn half as much. Right. And so it does make you move. Like I always tell people I have to sleep. That's how I felt. Like I really need to get that. Sleep. Oh, I get oh. it. Yeah. But doesn't it tell you like how good your sleep oh, is? Yeah. yeah, it does. That's sounds kind of scary to me, but, but it, I know people are like, she, are you like a goop addict? I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I actually literally have the like new goop lip balm that lap one. Oh yeah. How is it? Like when so I was like, it's the best. It is the best. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh. It is. All right. So you have the goop powders, you have everything. Yeah. I am very goopy. Like I thought about at one point <laughs> I was going to add that to my like profile. Like, <laughs> like I am. That yeah. would actually be, what do you mean on, um, on like social? Like on my Instagram. Or, like, I think that's funny. <laughs> Cause that does really like say, I mean, it is such a thing. It's, you know, thing. it is. I mean, but again, I'm a marketer and my, my specialty when I was a marketer was consumer packaged goods. And so I am the person at target who's down every aisle. Like what's the new product? What, like, I want you to sell me something good all the time. Like, tell me how many, you know, acids are in this product. What's it going to, how's it going to resurface my skin? Like, I want to hear all the things I'm like, that person watching the commercial, like, yes, tell me, sell me more. Yeah. I'm the one that's like, I need this for my house, which I don't like the commercial that comes on at like 2am, like the horrible infomercial of like the glue that keeps your roof together. Like that doesn't work. No, I, but I, this probably is not even on topic for mental health, but I would love to know what mistake do you see people? Well, maybe this still could be like make over and over again with a new business. Like, is there a pattern you see or a new product? Because I was like, I have to pick her brain about Because there must be, I would imagine, in someone of your experience, a, a traps you see people falling in. Yeah, there are two big things. The one line, um, I hate when somebody says this. This is when I was like, this uh oh, really bad. <laughs> when they're like, I just don't have any competition. Like, my thing is that good. Like, oh. there's just no competition. And, and people forget there's always competition. Um, your, your ideal customer can choose not to do anything, right? They can choose to take no action, not buy anything, or just not do the thing you think they're going to do. Um, and the other thing is when people say, well, this is for everybody. That seems really dumb yeah, because it's really <laughs> expensive to talk to everybody. Like we know how expensive advertising is these days. And so, 
um, you know, I think you really need to hone in on that customer and ideal customer avatar and get really, really specific and then grow once you've landed with that demo, you know, and expand and, you know, you even see like someone as brilliant as Shonda Rhimes, right? Like she knows the TV footprint that worked so well for her at ABC. She owned it, she outperformed. And then she got to Netflix and said, I'm going to do something different, but she'd already owned that lane. There's nothing else for her. You know, everybody now, it was like, everyone will go watch whatever she's doing. And so I think people think from like out of the box that like, well, I'm going to just do this. And it's like, no, nobody knows, like nobody knows you. They don't have a perspective of, of, of like saying, I identify with this person, I'm her target or his target. They don't really identify that way. Right. So uh, I think those are the two biggest mistakes I see. No, that's really good advice because I feel like that I've, I've never heard the, this is for everyone. So I have where people are like, oh no, there's no competition. And mm -hmm. I always think, no, mm -hmm. of course there is. Always, <laughs> always, always. Why was it such an important, you know, community to, Put together because it's like it's not like you weren't doing anything else you know what I mean you have so many things going on you already had successes as a writer as marketer as all these other things and so now you're starting was this more like wanting to give back uh no so I in 2017 I've become a fellow a Henry Crown fellow at the Aspen Institute and as part of the fellowship uh, you had to do a venture project. And so uh, I was kind of going through the process of what my venture might be and I had recently read at the time this article called The Black Ceiling and um, that was published in Fortune and it was about Ursula Burns uh, who was leaving Xerox and when she was leaving there were going to be no black women running Fortune 500 companies and so it's a very in-depth article with her asking her how did you get to where you are and what do you think se separates other black women from getting to where you are and she said kind of very clearly they lack the network and they lack the net worth that was really what I took away from it and I thought about my own story and I thought about you know starting so young, having the support of my family and really the infrastructure to start this business came from my family. And I thought about, you know, buying my home in my mid twenties and all the things that I had in this incredible network I had built from the age of 16, that she was right. I had these two things and it really did create an, um, these, you know, an unbelievable opportunity for me. And so then I thought about my friends, um, who were my tribe. And I thought about, you know, a lot of the, the same pain points we had, right? Wanting to mentor, but being kind of in the middle of our careers and not really being at a place where we could offer that. And I thought, okay, what if I create a platform where we can give advice? What does that look like? And then at the time there were, there were, was the rise of girl boss and create and cultivate and these really cool networks that very much weren't focused on women of color. They were inclusive for sure. They really did try to be inclusive, but our stories, our nuances, our needs are very different. And so do you, can I interrupt you for a second? I'm just curious. Do you feel like, and I don't mean necessarily those companies, but companies like that, like, yes, they're inclusive, but do you feel sometimes like they're just being inclusive because they have to be? I don't think it's because they have to be. I think that they, they very much want to be, but, but I think that there are layers to my story that unless you look like me, you cannot begin to understand um, some of the unconscious bias that exists for people who look like me. Like, I think as women, we can all come together and understand um, the nuances of being women, right? And the, the things that pop up 
um, and, and the things that we all can commiserate about that, that we understand is happening to us because we're women. And I think for women of color, it's even next level. And just even something yeah. as yeah. interesting as, you know, a statistic that women of color do 30 hours of caregiving per week on top of a full-time job. You know, and I discovered, like, I literally stumbled upon this statistic when I was doing research for an incontinence brand. And we were talking about who we needed to talk to. And it was this, you know, random association who had figured this out in trying to market certain products. So think about trying to, like, appearing for, for older members of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, culturally, a lot of times the elders in the family are still within the household, right? And so... When you think about this, when you're like, you can do it, just do this one hour a night. And you're not thinking about the fact that, that woman that you're not even thinking about in the context of her family unit is taking care of her father-in-law or mother-in-law. That, that, that's just something. So I, I, um, I definitely think that these platforms want to be inclusive. They know they need to be inclusive, but I also think that that, that the lens through which they will, will talk about female entrepreneurship and launch and growing or leading businesses is always going to be through their lens as being, you know, a white female. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I am going to bring a different perspective to the table. And I think it's how we work together, but I wanted to make sure that there was a, a, a channel or platform that felt very distinctive in, in, you know, wanting to represent the thoughts and feelings of, of women who look like me. So you started that in 2017 or 18? 18. Mm-hmm. 18. Okay. How many companies are sort of under that wing now that you're got so, in? so it's funny. I started in 2018 and then we started producing the work journal, which I love and tons of content. And then in 2019, I decided I didn't want to run the agency anymore. I decided I loved all the stuff the agency was, was producing, but I didn't want to take on clients anymore like that. And so that's when I, I didn't know what I was going to call it, but I knew I was going to do this content piece. And so last year I rolled out, I said, well, let me go sell a bunch of projects and get things under development. So then I can launch and announce a content company. But why would you announce a content company? You haven't sold any content. That was just how I was thinking. Um, <laughs> obviously people think very differently, but in my mind, I think that's actually smart, <laughs> but in my mind, I was like, I think I need to sell some content and then let's come back. And so you know, since that time, I, I sold three tween book series. So we have the Z Files, Honest June, and then my newest project launching next year called the Stitch Click. Uh, the- oh yes, I heard about that. About it's a fashion. Are they in fashion yes. school? Right. Yes. That's such a cute title for that. I love that. My sister claimed she came up with it, but I'm like, you know, I don't really know if I <laughs> buy into that. Um, but the Stitch Click is coming next year, and then um, Elevation Tribe. I realized that I really wanted to do bigger for that. So there's, I, I can't say too much about what's happening. I can say we're getting into product um, and we're working on a TV show. And so we're working on a TV show that focuses on helping women of color who have businesses, um, bringing in an elevation tribe. And so um, that's a project I've been working on for a while. And so um, all of that rolled up into relevant media. And that's what I decided to launch relevant media. I mean, it's not a public facing company, but I like to call it, it's like the place I park all of these fun creative projects. So how do you decide what gets your attention of the day? Um, it, it's funny, there's space for everything. Um, luckily there are times like a few weeks ago, I had, um, I was working on three books at the same time. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and it's all doable. You know, the thing that's great about children's publishing is you get great big teams of really, really, really talented people who are so much better at what they do than you could ever, ever be. So, uh, children, I'm telling you the best of the best work in children. I really believe it. Um, and so my job is just to never create a bottleneck for them and to make sure that all the approvals, the things I have to get done, I get them done on time. And the things I have to approve that I approve them on time. And, um, when I don't, someone will surely show up and just like, Hey, checking on this. I need this back. Um, and they know that they can do that whenever they need to. I had that happen today. I like had to approve something and I was like, darn it. I got it on Monday. It was on my list. Thank you. I'm going to do it right now. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't work without a great team. That's what I'll say. If you, because I have a great team, I do only the thing I can do. And then I keep everything else running. Have you ever yourself had a moment where you felt depressed or a moment in your life where you were worried about your own mental well-being that you could share if you're comfortable with the listeners? Yeah. You know, one of the things I think um, isn't talked about enough with entrepreneurs and, and among entrepreneurs is our mental health challenges that pop up, right? I think entrepreneurship can be incredibly lonely. I think you can deal with some incredibly difficult decisions that you have to make. And you don't want to overwhelm your friends and family in, in the course of those decisions. And so what happens is you isolate, right? You're dealing with really heavy things. And at some point you're going to crack, you know, and it took me maybe 22 years into business to finally crack. But no matter what, as I talk to more and more friends, it's like, yeah, at some point it shows up. And I think what I learned in that time was to give myself a lot of grace to not really feel the need to get right back up again and to really <clears throat> start to think about what do I need? How am I going to get through this? Um, I think therapy is really important. I think it's something that we don't talk enough about how important it is for those of us who find success. I, I really do think that finding, I always call it, um, you know, at 41, I, I have all the right tools in my toolkit now, right? So when certain things show up, I know how to deal with it. And I think it's incredibly important to have that practice, to have other people who are holding you accountable, whether they're your coaches, whether they're, it's your therapist, someone who is saying, how are you really dealing with this? How are you showing up to handle this? Um, and I've been fortunate through the last 10 or so years to really have that infrastructure, mm -hmm. but it is hard and I don't think enough of us talk about it and, and talk about the challenges and talk about building business and building companies, no matter what stage you're at, no matter how big or small, it is difficult and it will take a toll on your mental health if you don't figure it out. You know, I, I cracked a system for myself of, you know, my whole elevation approach, my, my preparation, inspiration, recreation, transformation. I built a phase of life really for myself around recreation and understanding the timeout, you know, and, and making that a really important part of my process because I was getting into burnout a lot. I didn't have the language for what was happening to me, you know, and, and how I was like failing, you know, but I, I, now I understand, okay, when I'm getting to a certain part in the, I just build in those breaks. I have to build in those mental health breaks. And also that check-in, that process of, of talking with someone and talking about where we're at, how we're going to build through this. That's really important. So you've been, you have been 
you're an advocate of therapy and have been in done therapy absolutely, yourself. Absolutely. And I think we need to talk way more about it and especially about the, the need that entrepreneurs have for it. Um, and when we all talk one-on-one, it's like, well, you're doing, and I have it in my therapist and we're all talking, but we're not publicly saying, this is how we deal with all of the stress that's thrown our way, you know? No. And I think when people look at people that are successful, like yourself, they would think, oh, she never is depressed or she must never have a problem or, but that, I mean, I've seen people and heard that from so many different people, different walks of life at different levels. And I think everybody has problems and has moments of doubt. I totally agree. I think we all do. And I, but I will say, um, what is most important is figuring out what your toolkit is. And I think everybody's toolkit can look different. You know, um, I think it is really, really important to have therapy as a part of that toolkit. I think it's really important to have meditation and other spiritual practices as a part of that. Um, I would say I have a pretty deep toolkit at this point, you know, um, I need my slow flow yoga. I need my affirmate. Like I need all of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people. It's like, I need every single part of it because my brain is always going. And that, so that moment of like slowing down, talking about it, looking at what's happened. How did I show up? What are my intentions? Like all those things are really important for me. Um, and I realized that I am a much better functioning person when I have all of that, you know? Absolutely. Well, with that being said, we're closing with our five questions. And the first one is, what do you do for a mental break? I'm a walker. I love a nice a walk on a crisp fall day, like now, a two, three mile walk. Uh, when is the last time you cried? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, probably a few days ago. I mean, I, I feel like I cry every day over something. <laughs> Not a like every day I cry, but like often probably yeah. when you're tight, like definitely um, tapping into your creative energy a lot. You're kind of that faucet is like on, you know, for sure. What are you currently reading? I just, okay. So I just finished Black Girls Must Die Exhausted, which is the Target book, of, book club book of the month. That was phenomenal. Um, I just finished this really interesting audio. It was an audible original called the guilty. And I am just about to start Tamron Hall's new fiction book. And I'm so delighted to see it's part of a series. It's about like a young reporter. Um, and so I'm excited. I don't know the title of it, but it's Tamron Hall's new book. So I'm going to dig into that. Uh, number four is what is the best and worst advice you've been given? Ooh. Um, I guess the best is still my dad. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. He would say that to me often when I was growing up, like you just need to have a plan. Um, and the worst advice. Oh, that's really interesting. Sometimes the worst advice can be the best advice. If someone's like, oh, you shouldn't, you'll never become a writer or, you know, you never know. I, it's, I'm trying to think about the worst. I, I tend, I tend to like taken what I need and not, um, I let's see the worst advice. Wow. That's, that's stumping me because I wonder if I just don't even like listen to it. Um, the worst advice. I don't know. Um, I don't, it, it's interesting. I don't know if I have an answer for that. I will say what one thing I realized years ago was when I was like in a crisis situation, you know, sometimes they're like, well, go ask this person and ask a collection of people. I actually have decided that like, I don't need to talk to more than three people. 
um, that I don't really, because a lot of times people will tell you how they dealt with something. Like they'll still project back to you their thoughts and feelings towards something that's what you're saying is triggering something that maybe happened to them. Um, so I really am about less advice in that situation. I'm a very much less is more. So I would say, um, you know, I'm not big on mentoring in that way. I'm really big on friend touring. Um, I think the biggest lessons of my life have come from my peers who, who could really understand where I was and my peers who are obviously at this stage, very, very successful people, but still peers and still, um, like life stage, like I really get where you are right now. And so I think leaning into friend tours and maybe not chasing after mentors has been really helpful to me. Yeah. I think that's a good, a really good advice too, to not ask like 15 people what they would do if you're in a crisis, because it just makes it way more confusing, way more confusing. And you're getting advice based on where they're at, right? Like not getting the advice always based on what's best for you. And, and also I found that the people have given me the best advice. Don't know anything about my industry. They don't know anything about my job. They know a lot about me. Really? Yeah. They don't really know. They know how I should show up and what is the best for me. And maybe it's the best for business. Maybe, you know, when my best friend told me when I was feeling down, just stay down, that might not have been the best business advice, but it was certainly the very best advice I could have taken at that moment for where I was and what I was going. Yeah. That's very like mentally healthy advice. Yeah. Um, what Instagram account do you find uplifting? If any, Oh, Tara styles. <laughs> I mean, if you catch it, you can do some yoga with her. And I, what I love about it is um, she's got something for you. If you've got two minutes, she's got something for you. If you've got 60 minutes. And I like that. I like the variety of just being able to like do a flow and feel like I've done something today. Um, okay. So thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I want to give a special shout out to Tina Wells for joining me. We're so thrilled to have you. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, easiest place is tinawells.com. And what is your Instagram handle? Uh, it's tinawells underscore. Okay, that's all folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU and we can be found on Apple and Spotify and tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.